Now, in a few places, they capture what Matthew has for us. So that's, that's our work today. Josh preached last week. He, he, was, he was identifying Jesus who taught us. It was the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount. And what was it? There were two places where he, he rested. One was the narrow gate, the broad gate and the narrow gate. The other one was the sandcastle, the house in the sand. Those two. What we're going to do now is we're moving, it's a pivot, we're moving from Jesus' teaching to now we're going to watch him in action. That's, we're in Matthew chapter 8 now, and we will see him, one person after another. He's going to be doing miracles. Now, he's done miracles already, but the way Matthew described them was he just went out and he healed a lot of people. This time we're going to see these people and the details within the... The small details in the short stories are going to be important for us to keep track of. So there are two things that I think we need to keep in mind in this particular section. One is, Matthew wants us to see that Jesus is the compassionate Lord. He is the compassionate Lord. He knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He delights to respond to our requests, to our need. He's the compassionate one. But the emphasis, the accent that Matthew is going to give us is he is the compassionate Lord, the one who has power and the one who has authority. And there are probably a couple of words that we want to keep track of as we go through the passage. And one of them is the word authority. Power and authority can oftentimes be sort of crunched together as they rightly should. Matthew is going to distinguish them a little bit for us. So consider, what do we mean by authority, and how does it differ from from power? For example, power tends to be a kind of strength and an influence that a person has. A child can have great power in your home. One child can have great power in your home. There's a, uh, there's a story, G.K. Chesterton, the old British writer, must have been in a restaurant speaking about the distinctions between power and authority. And the reason I'm thinking about this is it was sort of a vivid picture. A rhino coming into a restaurant, he was in a restaurant, a rhino coming into a restaurant has a lot of power. The, the rhino is occupying your attention. And Jesus, when he heals, certainly is the one who demonstrates significant power. But that differs from from authority. When you have authority, you've received a kind of position of responsibility. You have a claim over land and people and places. You can direct others by word. So a child may have power, but the parent has authority. The parent is the one who has been given authority over that. The parent is the one who makes decisions. The rhino has power, but it's the the owner of the restaurant, the chief chef. That's the one who has the authority to do something about it. I call the rhino police or whatever. I don't know what you do for rhino. But, But another person has authority. And Jesus has power to do miracles, but he has powers to do miracles as the one who has authority. He is over all things, all places, all people, 
and we live under him. This is what Matthew wants to communicate to us. That Satan has power, but he has no more authority. Jesus is broken in authority has been given to him. So that particular word is going to be important as we go through this section of Matthew. The other is the word faith. Jesus is the compassionate Lord. And as he goes, the compassionate Lord, as he invites and, and, and pursues people and draws them to himself, the world has a mixed response to him. So the question Matthew is posing in the passage, and since he's going to go into details, he's trying to draw us into the passage, so the question is for us. And do you have faith? And what kind of faith do you have? That's going to be a prominent question. Authority and faith are his interests. Now, let's, let's pause just for a moment on, on faith, a few details about authority, but now a few details about faith. There are, there are a few parts. There are three different parts to faith. And actually, I think these three different parts, they organize my own story of coming to Christ. Here's one part. To be a person who has put your faith in Christ, you have to have some kind of knowledge. You have to know something. You have to know something. You have to have some information about Jesus. That's one part. The second part is you have to believe that the information is true. Now, now sometimes we can stop there. There's a distinction between believing the information about Jesus is true and trusting in him. As I consider my own story, I knew information about Jesus is, is as soon as I can remember, and I always believed the information was true. But to move to that ultimate step of faith, I trust in him and not myself. That's how Matthew is identifying faith. Faith is that we need him, and we need him alone. There are things that we need from Jesus we will never find in any other person. We need him, and, and we respond to him by trusting in him, living with him. But what Matthew is going to be emphasizing here is living under him, the privilege of being able to live under him as being an essential feature of faith. Now, he, Matthew's going to be, the, the distinction between it's true and trusting him is an important one for, for Matthew. So what he's going to say is there's going to be times where you read the, the stories of Jesus and you will be amazed. You will be utterly astonished. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're astonished. People would be astonished and then they would just go into their own worlds and into their own life. If we are going to be astonished by the things that Jesus does, and obviously how can we not if we're truly looking and watching? If we're going to be, we're going to be astonished, we moved to, yes, I need you and I trust you. Authority and faith are going to be critical in, in this particular passage. I'm going to be going through chapter 8 through 9, 13, so it's going to be a really fast walk. What I want to do is I first want to to, to sort of move quickly 
over the events. Fast forward, they're dense clips, but, but we'll just try to identify the essentials of them. We'll go through the, the, the passage very quickly, and then we will linger on two passages that I believe Matthew calls out from this particular section as stay with this because these are especially important. So here are the stories. And obviously, as we walk through this together, if the, the more you can read of Matthew uh, and read through these things together with, with another person, the, the, the more you will understand what he's trying to communicate to us. The passage begins with a Hebrew leper, a Hebrew leper. You're going to find that Jews and Gentiles are now coming to Jesus because he is the Lord of the entire world. The Hebrew leper comes and... And what will be significant is he kneels down. He has a need. He kneels down before Jesus, and he calls him Lord. You are the one who is over all things, and even I live under you. You are the one with authority. That's the first one. The second one is going to be a Gentile centurion. And he's one of the the ones we we will stay with a little bit longer. But at this point, recognize that the centurion comes to him, and the first thing he says is, Lord, Lord. He is acknowledging not merely the power of Jesus, but the true authority that Jesus has in the way he, the way he responds to that authority is going to be most remarkable. Next story is Peter's mother-in-law, a Jewish woman. The, the, the other people were... were were bringing Jesus to her, and he healed her. She got up, and she served him. She served him. She, she got up, and she was pleased to live under him, under his authority. And then you move to a section where it says, many. When the people in Capernaum heard what Jesus has done, many had come, demon-possessed, and people who were sick, they came to him, And Jesus demonstrated his authority over those who were possessed by Satan. And then he gave us a few more details. You see, when he would heal, there there was something very intimate and personal where, where Jesus actually gave the life that was in him to another. And he would take the disease on himself. This is, this is what Isaiah said. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. It's just a, just a small detail that will be exploded by, we t- by the time we get to the New Testament epistles. Then there's a little break in the action. And the scribe comes to Jesus and said, Teacher, wherever you go, I'm going to go. I am going to follow you. You are utterly amazing. And then... Then Jesus said, well, it's not going to be a path of significant income. Not only that, you, you don't even know where you're going to sleep. And the, the person drops out. You don't even hear from him after that. Here's a person who knew information about Jesus. Here's a person who believed the information was correct, but that movement from being amazed at Jesus to following him, Jesus was a significant step for him, and he wasn't going to take it. There are others who come to Jesus and proclaim themselves as his followers. What can I do? But they say, oh, um, uh, 
Not, not quite yet. Not quite yet. Uh, later. later. I'll, I'll follow you later. And this is a theme that is most recognizable in teenagers. Teenagers, no offense, but it's most recognizable in teenagers. But we anticipate that there's a teenager in all our hearts. Uh, the, the, the not yet is, there are some things I don't think you're going to let me do. So, so I want to do those things. And then, then later, later, after I finally sort of satisfied myself, then later I will, I will come to you. I know who you are, but I'm not quite ready to follow. Then the passage goes on. It gets a little more complicated. Two Gentiles were released from Satan's rule. And this is the story about the, 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 the demons going into the pigs. Uh, so a, a, an amazing thing, the, the faith being expressed by, by these men in response to Jesus. But, but when the community heard about it, they, they said, I'll, I'll, I better read this because it's important. They begged Jesus to leave their region. They, they knew the information about Jesus. They knew it was correct, and they begged him to leave. Now you see there's a mixed response to Jesus. Next, there is a Jesus heals a paralytic. This time he, he says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. The one who has authority has, has authority over a deeper cleansing, not just the cleansing, giving life to the body, but giving life to the soul. He takes our diseases and our sins. The crowd was amazed by his authority. The leaders of the people, they rejected him at this point. They knew what he was doing. They knew it was accurate. But they, they decidedly said they were not going to follow. And finally, the, the end of the passage is that Jesus sees a tax collector working. He's in his booth. He's, he's working in his booth, and he says, follow me. And, and he follows immediately, unlike those who said, wait, or not quite yet. That's the basic sweep of the passage. But now the, the, the two places where Matthew wants us to consider a little bit more carefully. First, the hero of this entire section. He's the Gentile centurion, and he is identified as a person of faith. In the New Testament, you find there are a handful of different heroes. Luke chapter 8, the woman who was bleeding, uh, the woman who was identified as a sinful woman, they're both identified as women of faith, and it was unprecedented. Nobody was identified as a person of faith. Whenever someone is identified as a person of faith, you take notice. These are the new heroes of, of the followers of Jesus. And the Gentile centurion could have been perhaps premier among them. The passage goes like this. Jesus entered Capernaum. The centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord. That's, in some ways, that's, uh, that's enough of a start. You are the one who has, not only has power, but you have authority. You have authority over all things. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. That's what people of power do, if you have that particular power. But here, the centurion says this, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. 
Only say the word and my servant will be healed. In other words, you, Jesus, are the true king. And you are not a local king of a small jurisdiction. You are the king of the world. And the way kings operate is they can speak and have it done. They don't simply have to be everywhere to exert their influence and power. They can speak it because they have authority overall. This is, this is what this Gentile centurion is identifying. It's unprecedented. Jesus, Peter's comment about you know, who do people say I am? Well, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. It was striking. It was a striking confession. But we're long before that particular confession. Heroes, here's a hero of the faith. So you listen. You listen quite carefully. <sighs> Only say the word, my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority. Different ways to interpret that. But I, I suspect the, the most natural one is I am under your authority. He's not identifying the local magistrate in Syria where he probably was, was posted. He's not identifying Caesar. He's not identifying the general who's over him. He says, I, too, am a man under authority. And I have soldiers under me. Under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come. He comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. The earth, the entire earth, is coming under the reign, the authority of Jesus, where he can speak with a word and his will is done. And a Gentile soldier is the one who, who announces it. The least likely uh, of, of heralds. When Jesus heard this, and here's why we have to listen to it, he marveled. He marveled. <laughs> now that, that's, that doesn't happen every day. Jesus was stunned by what he heard. Truly, I tell you, with no, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Many Gentiles will come, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out in outer darkness. To the centurion, Jesus said, go. Let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. nature of faith. Faith is, is looking at Jesus, the object of our faith. And in this case, Jesus is, let me read you this from Romans chapter 9. He is the Christ. He is the God who is over all. He is the God who is over all. That's who, that's who the Gentile centurion was, was seeing. And he responded as one who was under authority. He responded as, as a servant under Jesus in every part of his, his life. All of us are under authority in some way. Uh, this past week I had a meeting at work and somebody told me what to do and I, my response was, Okay. Oh, that was it. I just, my response was okay. I'll do it. But 
if that person came to other jurisdictions in my life, if he told me to do something, I'd say maybe, sort of, probably, what business do you have to say anything about this area of my life? I can, you know, I can, do with, I can go to what movie I want to with my wife or whatever it might be. Probably the only one who can have jurisdiction in my life in all ways is my wife. Could you do this? Okay, well, I, I, I'd like to be that way. I'd like to be that husband, anyway. Um, uh, we are all familiar with authority. Jesus has authority in every single realm of our life. That, that is who the centurion is, is drawing us in to see more and more clearly. It's... Samuel, remember when Samuel heard, Samuel heard this voice, didn't know who it was. Uh, he was. He was told at one point, say this. Say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. That's where the centurion is, is guiding us. The Jesus who comes with us, the Jesus filled with compassion, who knows your needs even before you identify it. The Jesus who is with you. But what he's saying is, please recognize, is, is you see Jesus in his fullness, see him as the Lord who is over all. And now we're, we're running up ahead a little bit, but can you imagine, as we accent that knowledge of Jesus Christ, can you see how it has a tendency to erode the anger that you will have this afternoon? Because you live under another, the, the one you live under has authority over all areas of life. And here's where it goes. You rest in him. It gives you the opportunity not to be the one who thinks you have authority over all things, but to rest in another. You will watch your anger erode. You'll watch your despair erode. You'll watch your fears begin to erode as you as you take pleasure in Jesus who is over all, has proclaimed himself as the king who operates with the very word, with the very word. Here is uh, the hero of the faith from, from this particular passage. But there is one other passage, one other part of the passage I think is especially important to us as well, where one is, here is the hero, here's, the, here's the, the person of large faith, and here's the people of little faith, and it's the disciples. They're little faith, or, or no faith. They are, they are more relatable to us, but not necessarily the mentors that we should be following. Matthew 8, 23, following. When Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm in the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. Psalm 4.8. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in, safely, in, in safety. Jesus was, was living out that particular psalm. In the midst of a storm, he knew that his father had authority and he could, Jesus could rest as a result. But the disciples didn't take their, their cues from Jesus. Sherry and I, the first house we bought, uh, we, I, we actually, I knew the realtor. I, I actually, he was six years older than me when I was growing up. 
So I knew him and trusted him. Uh, we, we had some money that was due to come to us a few days before we were going to close. It was basically a certain thing. Well, a couple days before, it no longer was certain. In fact, it was not going to happen. So I frantically called the realtor and said, we're not going to have the money at closing. And he, he said, now after I say this, you're going to want to find out who the realtor was. Uh, he said, it's not a problem. It's not a problem. I, I didn't know anything about real. I, I, float us alone, say, I, I, don't, I don't know, pay when you can. I, I didn't know exactly how it worked, but I took my cue from him. And so Sherry and I, before the closing, we didn't, have, we didn't have hardly any money for the closing, but it was all fine because the one who had authority over the process, he was, he was good with it. Now, it turned out that the, at the 11th hour, this money happened to come in, and it's, so we had the money. But I did ask him the question, you know, and I think we probably needed the money. Why was it that you were so almost casual, almost indifferent about it? This is, this is a different part of the story, but he said, you know, I know your parents, and I know they're Christians, and I know that they would have been praying for you. So I believed you were going to get the money. So the person's faith was much greater than her own. Uh, uh, so, but, you know, understand my point. Uh, my, my point is that you take your lead from the person who has authority. And the disciples were not taking their lead from the one who had authority. They weren't looking at him and saying, He's cool with this, and so, so I, I don't know what he's going to do, but we're, we're good with it as well. The passage goes on. They went and they woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, for we are perishing. There is a parallel passage in the book of Mark, and Peter had, seems to have a good bit, a bit of influence in the book of Mark. And Mark says this. Um, the disciples say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? The book of Mark said, Have you still no faith? Then he rose, he rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? This is recognizable to us. It sounds familiar to us. There were disciples. They followed him. They were, they were committed to following Jesus. There's no doubt. They saw their need. They knew their need for Jesus in this particular situation. But they didn't look toward him. Somehow, somehow the storms that were all under the authority of Jesus seemed more significant than Jesus himself. They didn't take their cues from him. They didn't see that he wasn't worried, so they didn't have to be. They, they wondered if Jesus actually loved them, if he cared, which, again, is recognizable. Does he love me? Is he the compassionate Lord? I often think of one of my emerging favorite passages, 1 Peter 3.18, talks about the, the, the righteous one dying for the unrighteous for this purpose, to bring us to himself. In his love, he wants nothing to separate us from himself. The disciples at this particular moment had questions about his care for them. 
And the disciples had questions about his authority. Now, there's something understandable here. He, he demonstrated his authority over the human body, but he hadn't quite demonstrated his authority over, over the winds, over the, over the deadly seas. They didn't quite know that he was the king who was over all, as they would eventually proclaim him. These are the two passages to, to consider together if you're going to be having conversations about this one. So here's, as we're drawn into the passage, we are invited to this way of, of faith. If you have big faith, if you have little faith, or you have no faith, that all are invited into this section of Scripture, into these two excerpts from the section. Here's some of the questions that you can be asking yourself. Do you have a need? Well, even more. Do you, do you have a need that you recognize that you and other people are not going to have authority over? Do you recognize that you have a need for the things that Jesus himself can give? Love, hope, forgiveness, presence, heart that is, is changed through and through, growing in him, anticipating, seeing him face to face, and on and on and on. The way of faith is that you, you begin with a need. You're, there's a sense of you're always on the verge of calling urgent care and, and going there. That should be fairly easy for us. Then in the way of faith, it goes to more things. Watch him. Now watch him. Take your cues from him. In the Sermon on the Mount, passage right before this, Jesus talks to people who have fears and worries. And he says this, let's go for a walk. And he points out to you the, the birds, points out to you the, the lilies that are going to be gone the next day. You, if you take your cue from him, you, look, you keep looking at him, and the world is so difficult in all kinds of different ways, but he seems to be okay with it all. He's saying, let's go for a walk and look at your father's care for these things. And aren't you much greater in his mind than all these things? His love for you is different than his care for creation. So are you taking your cues from Jesus? Who, who is alarmed with the injustices of the world. Who, is, who, who responds with compassion. But there is a certain sense that he is God and he will do right. And, and as a result, we, we can rest along with him. Do you take your cues from him? And then here's what seems to be so central in Matthew at this particular point. Do you see that all authority has been given to Jesus? One of the ways perhaps we can consider praying, this is just from 2 Peter 3.18, but you'll find the, the phrase in all kinds of prayers. Peter encouraged us to, to grow this way, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Our Lord and Savior. The one who rescues us, who has and will, but also the one who is 
the Lord. You'll find that, you'll find that in a number of passages throughout the New Testament. And we have the privilege of living under his authority and resting. Resting. That's, that's the end point of knowing his authority accurately, of knowing he is the compassionate Lord. And indeed, indeed, your faith, whether it's no faith or little faith or big faith, it will be tested. Today, tomorrow, this week, Peter himself uh, speaks about that in his own letter to us. It will be tested, so what do you do? We are a community that goes through these things together. We speak of Matthew to each other. We pray for each other. We, we remember the one who is over all things. And we, we speak of how we have very, very little faith. And we, we speak our aspiration for, for more and more. We would like to, in our lives, move from, from the disciples who had no or little to the centurion who, who had this confident faith in, in his God, his Lord, and his Savior. I'll invite the, the worship team up now. Let me pray. What a privilege for us to, to see Jesus, whom has been given all authority. We've heard him teach, and now we watch him act. And may, may, may we be, be amazed indeed, but would you take us, grant us faith that, that knows Jesus, that, that knows his love, knows his authority, and may you take us as a congregation into resting in this, our very Jesus. In the name of Christ, amen.